We are delighted to have Dr. Jason K. Allen with us today to discuss his brand new book, Letters to My Students on Preaching. Hello and welcome, Dr. Allen. Hey, David. It's nice to be with you. And uh, man, I'm always happy to talk about preaching. I'm always happy to talk about a book I've written. And I get to do both now. So thank you for having me on. <laughs> Great. No problem at all. Before we get started, just tell us a little bit about yourself, Dr. Allen. Yeah, I serve as president of Midwestern Seminary in Kansas City, Missouri. I just started my eighth year here. God is virtually blessing our work. We have about uh, 4,000 students training for ministry here. Uh, my wife Karen and I have five children. They're now ages 17, 16, 14, uh, 12, and 11. What book and what person has had the biggest impact on you? Well, I know this is a trite thing to say, but I would have to say uh, the Bible. Yeah. And that's a, a predictable answer, but an essential one for me. I would say the person, you know, I would name beyond my wife and my parents and my Savior, I would say from a ministry standpoint, it would be two individuals. Uh, one would be Steve Lawson, under whose ministry I was called, under whose preaching ministry I was called to the ministry. The other would be uh, Al Moeller, who I served with for many years at Southern Seminary. Yeah, brilliant. I know you're a big fan of Charles Spurgeon as well, aren't you? And if I remember right, you've got some interesting memorabilia relating to Charles Spurgeon, haven't you? Yeah, we own the Spurgeon Library here, which consists of over 6,000 books and artifacts once owned by Spurgeon. And we have, we have a, a treasure trove of artifacts, of books, of letters, of sermon notes, of memorabilia. And so it's a precious stewardship we have and we're privileged to have it. Wow, great stuff. We live in a generation that Spurgeon saw coming when he said that you'll need a microscope to find the Bible in some preaching. What is the history of this momentum and how have we got into this situation? Well, I think the, the 21st century church really is on is, uh, is, is finding itself on the backside of a trajectory that started in the middle of the 20th century. Mm. The evangelical church as a whole began to creep towards a more of an entertainment model of ministry where you, you do what you need to do to draw people to come to attend. Yeah. The evangelical church, of course, as opposed to the broader Protestant landscape, which began to move in a far more determined liberal direction as you came into the, uh, the 20th century. But evangelicalism, the second half of the 20th century and early 21st century, still profess to believe the Bible and profess to believe the gospel and the exclusivity of Christ for salvation. But that entertainment mindset led to a, a watered down of preaching to where many churches, well, as Spurgeon said, a microscope is needed to find biblical text in a, in a sermon. Mm. You start off your book by helping the reader prepare to be a preacher. And the very first part of this is to test their calling. Talk us through that and, and maybe give some practical advice around that, Dr. Allen. Yeah, the call to ministry is essential. I mean, how can you undertake a faithful pastoral charge if you're not sure you've been set apart unto the work? Mm. And that calling is, is made plain really by a couple of different factors. Number one, 1 Timothy 3, 1 through 7, Titus 1, 6 through 9 sets forth the basic characteristics of one called to ministry, up to the office of the elder. And does my life line up from a, a character standpoint or does it not? What is more, am I uh, desiring to preach the word? Am I gifted to teach the word? That is an essential mark as well. So, so it begins with that that sense of does my life measure up? Do I have that desire to to actually minister the word of God? Spurgeon, who you referenced, talked about the uh, all consuming, all absorbing desire for the work of ministry. Is there a, a passion for the local church? Yeah. Is there a passion to preach the word? Am I desiring to undertake the work of the ministry? And then more broadly, the church itself is is charged in the New Testament to actually identify, call out, confirm, 
affirm those called to ministry. And so what, what we, we need to have is churches being rigorous about those who are called to ministry and being rigorous about, about how they actually vet and, and engage in dialogue in those who may be called to ministry and then ultimately calling them out, affirming them, yeah. sending them forth to the work of local church service. What was the first sermon that you ever preached and how did it go? You know, it went terribly, and I, I think you picked up on that from uh, from my recent book, Letters to My Students on Preaching. Uh, the first summer I ever preached, I preached in a, a kind of a halfway house known as the Home of Grace. It was yeah. a halfway house for women who had been abused or perhaps had fallen subject to uh, some sort of uh, substance abuse. And I went on occasion with some older men in my church to minister to them on Sunday afternoon. And then once I was asked to actually deliver the sermon. And I, I didn't know what to do. I did not know how to prepare a sermon. And I spent the whole week both exhilarated yet frightened. Yeah. And, you know, writing down my favorite Bible verses, writing down all the preaching one-liners I'd ever heard, and <laughs> trying to cobble together a sermon. <laughs> and I found myself standing before about, about 40 ladies and uh, preaching a sermon and going through my notes in about 12 minutes, not <laughs> knowing what to do, but yeah. just starting over and going through my notes again. And so the Lord has been pleased to grow me as a preacher since then, but I will never forget that first occasion. That's so good. What are the different types of preaching and why is expository preaching so important? Look, there are different types of preaching. I, w I argue for expository preaching because I believe that's the most effective way to actually bring the Word of God to bear on the people of God. Moreover, I do believe that is a, a New Testament and a biblical pattern. Now, of course, we are deriving things from biblical texts, exhortations like uh, give attention to the public reading of Scripture, uh, preach the Word. Mm. We're deriving that from places like the book of Acts where we see again and again and again the apostles take uh, often Old Testament texts or Old Testament passages and, and present those in a way that's this Christocentric, this Christological, bringing that to bear on the lives of, of their hearers. And so... There is a, a pattern there. Now, I refer to that as expository preaching. Some people may call that exegetical preaching. Some people may call that textual preaching. The bottom line is this. I rejoice when sermons are bibline, when yeah. sermons explain the Word of God in its context and bring it to bear on the lives of people. And if you call that expository or textual or, or exegetical, I'm not going to quibble over the nomenclature, but, but I will quibble and am willing to quibble over what preaching is actually to be and to do. What does good sermon preparation look like? Well, in short, good sermon preparation looks like you devote yourself to actually understanding the text you're going to preach. Mm. And look, for some people, that takes longer than others. For some texts, that takes longer than others. Obviously, if you're a younger man in a preaching ministry and you're, 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 you're new to your first church and perhaps you're working your way through seminary and your wells aren't as deep, then, then man, there may be weeks where you're just one step ahead of the hounds. You're working hard just to know that text and bring it to bear. And so you need every single hour you can get to study the text and, and often many more hours. But if you're more seasoned, you know the text better, you've been preaching longer, um, it may not take as long. But the bottom line is this. You cannot step in the, into the pulpit until you are absolutely certain what that text means, yeah. what God is saying through that text, what God said to his people through that text when it was when it was delivered thousands of years ago, and what is God saying through that text to your people on that Lord's day. So there's a lot more to it than that, but, but simply you, you have to know the meaning of the text and then homiletically be able to explain it, uh, to amplify it in some ways, and to apply it to your hearers. What are some of your favorite Bible commentaries? 
Well, this upon if you mean exegetical or more expository. I, you know, from, from an expository standpoint, as a young man in ministry, I came to appreciate the preaching ministry of John MacArthur and his New Testament commentary set. Uh, there are so many others, and to be honest, I'm, I'm not really good at, at commentary names. Yeah. But what I'm looking for is some sets that are more heavily exegetical, more heavily academic, dealing more intentionally with uh, the historical background, being more intentional on word studies and what's going on in the Greek or Hebrew languages. Now, I like to complement that with more with more expository series that actually where a, a, a preacher, an accomplished preacher, a preacher that I that I, I value as far as how they handle the text, how they have actually preached the text. And then what I will do, oftentimes, after looking at those exegetical and expository commentaries, often if I have time, I'll, I'll listen to a podcast or a YouTube sermon or two or three or four yeah. of a passage. And you know, here's the reality, David. In the year 2019, we have an embarrassment of riches. Yeah. Yeah. We just do. Everything from word studies and linguistic tools that are at arm's reach to the commentaries I just mentioned to the podcast and uh, the YouTube videos and all the rest that are there as well. You, you may preach a poor sermon, but you will not preach a poor sermon for lack of resources that are potentially available. Yeah. Upon entering the pulpit, what sort of notes do you recommend? I know people like John MacArthur, who you just mentioned, and Phil Johnson, they, they go into the pulpit with full manuscript um, and some people take very little in. What, what do you teach and what do you recommend? Yeah, I err towards more of a manuscript. Historically, I have uh, produced more of a manuscript when I preach. Now, I will tell you one point of practicality, and I preach in many churches throughout the year, you know, dozens and dozens of different churches. And frankly, some churches don't have a pulpit, or at least not something that's like a traditional pulpit yeah. with a flat top that can host you know, a Bible and a notepad. Yeah. So often I will actually have now maybe more of a manuscript for my study, but I'll take into the pulpit or lack of pulpit, some notes that are kind of taped inside my Bible or, or within the pages of my Bible that I can use. So that way I'm just not caught off guard by walking up and not having a place to put my sermon notes. So yeah. I, I, I tend to walk into the pulpit with less sermon notes than I walked into the pulpit with 10 years ago. But I hope I don't walk into the pulpit any less prepared than I was preparing 10 years ago. So, so walking in um, with a full manuscript, how do you um, deliver and not make it dry? So you, obviously you've got the logistics of tracking where you are with your eye. And what, what are some of the pro tips with that, Dr. Allen? Yeah, I think you have to be real careful not to read your manuscript. And if your manuscript, if you're taking your manuscript in the pulpit intending to read it, there's something more fundamentally broken in your study. Yeah. First of all, we, we, we have sermons to preach. Preaching is, is to declare, to proclaim, not merely to read. And so when I went to the pulpit with fuller manuscripts, it's not so I can kind of sit back and read it or geek out over not missing, you know, what's the third word in the second yeah, sentence yeah. of the fourth paragraph. But I can have kind of some touch point to look down at occasionally to kind of the basic pace and rhythm of the sermon. So to be very careful with that. We don't want to merely read the sermon. How important is it to have every sermon connected to Christ and the gospel message? Yeah, I, I think that is very important. And look, there, there are different schools of thought on what that even means, that question that you asked and how one connects a sermon to Christ. Some argue that every passage, like indigenous within it, has a, a direct reference to Christ or, or Christ is located through some, some sense of type or some other sense that he's very specifically, clearly, indigenously within every passage. I, I don't see that. I, I do see and argue that Christ can be and should be linked to from every passage. Many Old Testament passages, Christ is, 
is indeed indigenous within there. He is indeed the Messiah who is being pointed to, or he is the fulfillment of a promise that is being made. He's the fulfillment of a type that is being referenced. But oftentimes, we are not so much finding Christ, you know, obscurely in, in, in some passage in Numbers, but, but we are able and we should drawing a line from those Old Testament passages, from that Old Testament passage to Christ and to the Messiah and to all that we, we see and realize through him in the New Testament. So look, we are Christian preachers. We're gospel preachers. Therefore, we must be intentional. We must be intentional. To, uh, to point our people to Jesus. Yeah, really good. How do you help a new preacher that may struggle with nerves? Yeah, I would say the new preacher, first of all, remind yourself anew of God's calling. And we go back to the first question you asked, David, yeah. that we want clarity, we need clarity in our calling before the Lord. And so if we have that clarity in our calling, and we have a good mentor or pastors who have poured into us, we can find confidence in their confidence in us. A part of a church affirming one into pastoral ministry is we are buoyed, we are strengthened by the fact that they have enough confidence in us to declare publicly they believe God has called us. So I would say look to the Lord's calling, look to pastoral affirmation and mentorship, look to church affirmation. I would also say find venues to preach in that aren't especially nerve-wracking. Your first sermon probably ought not be on a Sunday morning in your hometown in front of all your family and friends and everyone who turns out to, to, to root you on. It probably ought to be in a prison ministry. It probably ought to be on a Wednesday night teaching a group of students. It probably ought to be in a halfway house like I preached. It probably ought to be in a retirement home in front of 18 senior adults. It probably ought to be in a hospital ward in front of in front of 14 people who are, who are recovering from, from illness. So I think you can find lower pressure venues so that when you do begin to step onto larger platforms and before larger audiences, um, it's not as nerve-wracking. On the other side of the coin, what advice do you have to help stop preachers becoming prideful and falling into that trap of tickling people's ears for, for recognition? Man, I'll tell you what, I don't know how you become prideful if you're a preacher. My theology is such, my belief about preaching is such, that uh, I have experienced many emotions in preaching, but I've never experienced pride like as though I, I have arrived as a preacher. Mm -hmm. I would say the temptation towards tickling ears or to pleasing our congregation, I think that's a real temptation we have to fight because many preachers, they want their congregation to like them. And that's not an, an unworthy aspiration. Moreover, they want their congregation to listen to them and to receive their sermons and to follow their leadership and to love their families. And None of those are in of itself ignoble. However, if those become dominating concerns, if those become unwieldy in your mind and heart, then you'll find yourself just not wanting to preach on sin and not wanting to deal with difficult passages, mm -hmm. avoiding difficult doctrines. And we're called to feed the sheep, not to uh, coddle the sheep. And so we have to feed the sheep the truth of the Word of God. You have an exciting role where you get to see lots of the next generation of preachers and leaders come through. Whom are you most excited to see develop over the next few years? I'll tell you, I am so encouraged by what God is doing on the campus of Midwestern Seminary here in Spurgeon College, our undergraduate program. You know, we have nearly quadrupled in size the past seven years. We went from about 1,100 students to this past year we hit 4,000. Wow. And I, I know there are a lot of markers out there of cultural decay, of, of the increasing secularization of America. There are a lot of churches out there that are empty. There are a lot of sign points that are of concern. But on my campus, I'm profoundly encouraged because I see a generation coming who are convictional, who are eager, who are passionate, who treat the Word of God seriously, 
who are committed to robust theological and uh, doctrinal formulations and teaching and who are sacrificially oriented towards serving the church. And so I'm encouraged by a generation here that are on this campus that are pushing back against the culture, pushing back against the malaise in so many churches and wanting to be faithful to the call of the Lord. I was really excited to see that this book is volume one of a series. What else can we expect to see in this series, Dr. Allen? Yeah, volume two will be letters to my students on pastoring. And so I'll be unpacking pastoral ministry, both theologically and practically. And then volume three after that currently is slated uh, to go more in the direction of pastoral leadership. Excellent. I know you also have a podcast and you're available on social media channels as well. Just tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, I've released a weekly podcast, uh, Preaching and Preachers, and it's about what the title suggests, talking with preachers and talking about preaching. And uh, I really enjoy doing that. It gets uh, it gets some tremendous reviews, frankly. It gets a lot of downloads. And then on social media, I'm not an expert, but I try to engage in social media periodically. I, I'm at, on Twitter at, at Jason Keith Allen, and then on Facebook and Instagram as well. And so we'd love to connect with your listeners uh, on social media. Excellent. Well, we'll put the links for those in the description below. Dr. Allen, thank you so much for your time. I've really enjoyed it. Thank you, David.